Good morning, everyone. This morning, I'd like you to open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'll be opening up this time here uh, together before Mr. Matt comes and Pastor Andrew closes. Uh, As I read uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 through 9, I I want you to remember those two songs that we just sang. That Christ is the one who has to hold us. He must be the one who holds us and keeps us because we need him every hour. If you remember those things as we read through Deuteronomy chapter 6, 1 through 9, we will keep our focus on, on Christ here this morning as the one who sustains us, keeps us, we need him. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. As we open up here this morning, this book of Deuteronomy is a very significant book, as you well know, of the Old Testament both in terms of its literary, liter, literary and theological importance. This is a covenant renewal ceremony. As we read this long document book of Deuteronomy, this is a covenant renewal ceremony. Moses here before the new generation is leading this ceremony on the plains of Moab, which is, interestingly, the very place where Israel once affirmed their allegiance where the previous generation once committed to keeping the law. For Moses, this is like a last will and statement. Uh, and, uh, his last coming to the end of his life, shortly before his death, east of the Jordan, he is calling this new generation into the covenant renewal. And of course, uh, the Jewish tradition, the naming of this book would be called Book of Words, the Book of of words, probably an adaptation to the official Hebrew name, which really just comes from the first two words in Hebrew of the book. These are the words. You may be more familiar with the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that translates this title of Deuteronomy as second law, which has brought quite a bit of confusion because this is not a second law, but it's a second reading of the law. And in a series of, of speeches, given by Moses to this new generation, Moses recounts the history of 
Israel's relationship with God in this covenant and certainly highlighting their failure to keep it. He also reminds the people of this covenant God that he has made with them and his faithfulness to keep it. And then Moses, of course, spends much time exhorting them to obey God's commands. And as you're going to hear more this morning, this would be rooted in loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The style of these addresses, the style of this series of sermons or speeches that, Mo- that Moses gives here motivates obedience by constantly reassuring them of God's faithfulness and his power to keep his promise. God's faithfulness despite Israel's persistent sin and failure. He must keep us. He will keep us. As we look at this with New Testament perspective, Christ must keep us. He will keep us. We need him every hour. God's faithfulness also reveals through this book, as Moses lays out this series of messages, reveals the Hesed love, the loving kindness, the covenant love for the sake of his glory among the people. And throughout, Moses is calling them to remember. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's holiness. Remember God's blessings as related to the covenant, but also God's warnings as related to the covenant. So this great Shema, this passage that we read, particularly uh, verses 4 and 5, this is the central Jewish prayer, hear, O Israel. And this is beyond, in, in the Hebrew thinking, of course, beyond physical hearing. This is active listening, inner understanding, which leads to action and doing. It's all based on truth. It would result in obedience. And of course, we know Christ himself said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is from a heart of love to our Lord. If you abide in my word, in fact, Jesus says, you will be my disciples. This abiding, this hearing, this listening is active in that it takes it inside and then outcome is love, obedience, worship. Israel's record of failure, of course, is recounted, exposes a great need. And Moses will talk about this very often. I just want to read this one verse here. I'm actually going to read verse 5 before it. Chapter 30, and the Lord your God will bring you into the land. This is his promise that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And then verse 6, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul that you, may be, that you may live. He is looking forward to presenting to them this day when God will change Israel's heart. Their failure leads to this need of God doing an inner work in their heart. So as we will look here, as Mr. Matt comes, we will look closer at chapter 6 and bring in some New Testament truths and principles as we'll see the importance of our identity as God's covenant people, but also God's character, his 
faithfulness that marks this covenant love, his commitment, his covenant-keeping love. And then, of course, our response of faith with new hearts in the work of regeneration that are accompanied by transformational empowerment to live for Christ, by him, for him, and through him. Christ will hold us. Christ must hold us because we need him every hour. Uh, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Ken for opening us up with that passage um, in Deuteronomy 6 about the love of the Lord. Love is the anchor in our blessings. You know, as the Lord was blessing the nation of Israel, it was that love that kept them steadfast and firm through all those blessings. The Bible says that as Israel was going to increase in their blessings, that they would become wayward, that they were thinking that these gifts that they were receiving were from their own doing, but they never were. They were always by the hand of our God. Love. What is love? Love is a, is it an emotion or is it an action? Is love personal or is it corporate? What is love? And I'm glad I see some of the kids are in here today. If I was to ask the kids over in the kids' corner what they think of the word love, I probably would hear from them, well, you know, love is how I feel towards my mom or my dad, or perhaps maybe even the family pet. You know, in simple terms, kids identify love as kindness, protection, helping others, spending time together, joy that is filled with many hugs and kisses. Children see love as an emotional expression towards others and also towards themselves. When God commanded the nation of Israel to love him, he was in many ways setting up the parameter of their identity or their self-worth. Throughout the book of Deuteronomy, God reminds Israel that their identity does not come from their presumptions of how other nations saw them or their perspective of themselves, but that their value as a nation comes from what God declares them to be. God gave Israel their identity many years prior through the covenant he established with Abraham that someday they would be a great nation, numerous with many, many citizens, and that one day they would take ownership of a unique plot of land. Israel struggled to grasp their identity as spoken from God. And it was here at Kadesh Barina that God would test Israel to see who they were dependent upon. Would Israel value God in his covenants towards them as much as God valued his covenants with them? Israel had observed God's great protection and deliverance through what the Bible describes as that terrible wilderness, making their way to Mount Sinai. It was here at the base of the mountain that Israel would receive instructions in the mannerism of their cultural identity. In ten simple words, ten words, God engraved on two tablets of stone what the essence of their identity would be. It was after this that Israel was directed by God to take and go and take possession of the land. Israel, though, was confused from whom they received this capability. It's that Israel found themselves grumbling in their tents that God was asking the impossible from them. Forty years had passed and a new generation arose. The Lord was working mildly in this new group of individuals as they began to take possession of the land. 
Moses saw how God was bringing their, to their victory. Moses, although, was afraid or was aware that he would not be allowed to go and enter the land, that God was disciplining the previous generation for doubting his words, and that, like a child who has had a toy removed for correction, Moses pleaded one last time that he would receive permission to enter the land. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 3, 23 through 25 gives us an example of this prayer. And it goes like this, I also pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and might as yours? Let me, I pray, cross over and see this fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country, and Lebanon. Moses' request was denied, not because God was a vengeful or mean God, but because he always knows what is best. God always answers prayer in the way that is in the best interest of the individual. God continues to love through discipline. His character does not change during correction. He is a God who loves his people and seeks to use whatever means possible to help them to understand the truth and a deeper reality. What follows in Deuteronomy 4 to the end of the book are the instructions and warning that Moses observed. Joshua would be leading the people, and Moses longed for the nation not to become confused as the previous generation had done. In many ways, the warning that the nation of Israel to take God's covenant seriously. Moses saw firsthand why it was so important to love God, that a love for God strengthens the convictions of God's character. It is God who brings us back from a place of discipline. God knew Israel would fail in their covenantal relationship. Deuteronomy 4, 27 through 31 indicates that God would use correction until the people returned seeking after, searching for, and had declared to listen to his voice. Verse 27, the Lord will scatter you among the, nation, the peoples, and will, you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. There you will serve gods, the works of man's hands, wood and stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. But from there you will be, from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things happen to come upon you, in those latter days you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. For the Lord your God is a compassionate God. He will not fail you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant with your fathers, which he swore to them. In his love, God predestined a gracious plan for restoration. I love this passage, this portion of Scripture, because even though I am a sinner, God has already planned a place and a purpose to restore me back unto him. I am so very, very grateful for that. Only one thing was required of Israel to remain in good standings with the Lord, to love him with a great reverence. To take God serious means we must take the Holy Spirit seriously. Jesus explains in John 14, 15 through 17, that for the church-age saints, 
they would be given a helper who would assist in bringing to memory the things which were either pleasing or contrary to his will. And as Pastor Ken um, may mention just a few minutes ago, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he will be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see me nor know me. But you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. Interesting, in Pauline letters, there is only one Greek word used to describe this command to love God, Theos. Paul used this word sparingly in only six occurrences in his writing. One of the main elements of uniqueness between Deuteronomy and Pauline teaching is that in the Old Testament places a greater emphasis upon Israel to love God with all their effort. But in the New Testament, the greater emphasis was upon understanding God's love towards them found in grace. It is as if the subject and the object of the clause has switched places. But what does this knowing the love of God look like? How is it manifested in the church or the individual believer? The book of Ephesians gives three main elements of knowing the love of God. That is, in valuing his choosing, his church, and his grace. Our love for God comes about from our understanding of the character of God. And since the character of God is holy, he longs for us to be holy. A holy lifestyle is not impossible. What God has commanded can be achieved because he has given us the power by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 go on to say this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us, uh, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to his kind intention of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. We love God. We can love God with a sincere heart because he has loved us with a kind intention. There is absolutely nothing we can do within ourselves to give us this credit, not some special intellect or skill or work. God chose us because we were completely dead under the transgression of our sins and the influence of the evil one. He chose us so that we would be made alive in him. We can love God as he has loved us because he has forgiven us in Christ, we are called to love in the manner of his character. Our identity is no longer our own, but found in him. Our knowing the love of God is demonstrated in our love for each other. It's demonstrated when we are concerned for the unity of the body, when we value our brothers and sisters in the Lord as having relevance in the community of faith. Ephesians Four, one through three, go on to explain, therefore, I am a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in the manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, sowing tolerance for one another, and love being diligent to persevere in the unity and the spirit and the bond of peace. 
We love God with understanding hearts because he has loved us with one calling. This brings us back to the opening question of our identity. When tested about their identity, Israel focused on their skills, their ability, and their size, and what they believed they could or could not achieve or accomplish. This mindset prevented them to see what they could be in the power of God. It was a type of thinking that focused on the affirmation of what they wanted to be, determiners of their own fate. As a result, they became isolated and judgmental in spirit. Ephesians 5 and 6 give various real-life illustrations of what, it's, what it means to um, what selfless love looks like. It is not in our position or our titles that we are credited with treasures, but it is in our spiritual mannerism, guided by the Holy Spirit, that we are granted a great blessing. God wanted to bless us. He wants to bless us. Our God seeks to take notice when we do things in the mannerism of the Spirit. These are incorruptible treasures, things that we do when we value and esteem the Lord. They are selfless in nature, valuing His truth above all else. God longs for us to be successful in all mannerism of His identity in Him. He's not a God who has abandoned us to find our own manner or means of what pleases Him. What pleases Him is when we take our faith Seriously, this is why we have been given the armor of God. He wants us to value, protect, and to cherish that precious gift of grace which he has bestowed upon us. Ephesians 6, 10 and 11 states, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. What the, what the Lord we can love God with persevering hearts because he loved us with full authority. Our identity is not connected to our past or what we say about ourselves today. Our identity is connected to who he says I am, a child who has been adopted as a citizen into his eternal kingdom. Throughout Scripture, the name that describes the faithfulness of God is El Emunah, he is the God who always keeps and fulfills his covenantal promises, even when he corrects. Our knowing the love of God is to believe, trust, and live in the mannerism of his gracious gift. Thank you, Mr. Matt. And I was just looking at Ephesians as we were reading through that and realized how convicting Ephesians is as we walk through those, those commands. And even in Ephesians 5, speaking of the family, men, we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church. And, you know, we're just shot through with failure right there. You know, the truth is, is that Israel, as they stood listening to Deuteronomy's actual giving, they were on the threshold of failure. And they were children of failure. They were the ones that had watched their parents refuse to trust the Lord. And then over a period of 40 years, watched their carcasses fall in the wilderness. You can read of that in, in Numbers. And so these were the children standing again in the same place in the shadow 
of great failure. Can you imagine the burden that would be on their shoulders? Even as we sit here and as I read Ephesians, and if you're a parent, you know what it feels like. Man, what happens if I mess this up? So when we're young, when we're older, we look back and say, man, I messed that up. I wish I had done something different. The truth is the answer is the same. And that's really the heart of what he's saying here in Deuteronomy. Yeah, it's the giving of the law, but even as Mr. Matt noticed or pointed us to over and over again, the grace that is echoing through these verses over and over and over again. When you fail and when you're there and when you're judged, you feel the sting of consequence. You turn to your God. He is merciful. He will restore you. He will work in you. Nothing's changed. We need those words even this morning. On Mother's Day, a day where we set time aside to honor mothers, to reflect on their blessings to us, their love. And even as we do that, we know that there's some pain tied to it too, isn't there? You know, not everybody here has a mother to write a note to this morning. And not every woman here has children to hear those encouraging words from this morning. The truth is blessing and pain and brokenness are woven together at every level of our experience here even this morning as God's people. And so as we look at these things, it's not in the the setting of the ideal. I mean, we'd like to be there. We're growing to that, I hope and pray. That's the purpose of Deuteronomy is to, to remind the people, listen, this is the door of failure if you don't listen. This is the door of failure if you don't follow. Remember the door of failure that you yourself saw because your parents wouldn't trust. But it's not fatalism. Do you notice that? You follow the Lord your God and he will bless you. You fear him and he will guide you. So the truth is we do have a decision, even as we reflect on motherhood. And as we look at just these three primary commands, I'm sorry, the three primary commands in Deuteronomy, you can just break down Deuteronomy chapter 6 and and see that we are to fear the Lord. Verse 2. Notice what it says, though. Just like Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Those that keep my commandments, they love me. Certainly, he didn't expect perfect obedience. He certainly knew there wasn't perfect love. So his expectation of growth even through this. But this same thing is echoed here in Deuteronomy. Verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God. And later in the verse, he says, by keeping all his statutes and his commands. This is the first step. Of course, he also says in verse 5, the great Shema, the great command, is if you get this one thing right, you're headed in the right direction to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might, all of your ability, all of your actions, right? And even as we lift that up, I want to ask this morning, is that true in our own hearts, our own lives? How quickly do our affections get pulled in almost every different direction, even in our own parenting, even in our own encouragement? 
And of course, he goes on to say this is the great focus this morning on the family. Teach these things diligently to your children. Of course, that's specific. The family is the basic building block of this instruction. It's the the primary responsibility. Parents, we do bear this responsibility. Grandparents, your investment doesn't stop. But notice what it says. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Diligently. Diligently. That's when we're tired. That's when we're frustrated. That's when we're discouraged. That's all the time. It goes on to say, you shall talk of them when you sit in your house. Do we we talk about sports more than we do the things of God? Or politics? Or scholastic achievements? Or fill in the blank, whatever it is. He says, you shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way. That would be driving your car, by the way, today, if you're interested. When you lie down and when you rise up all the time. Flowing from our lives. Listen, sometimes we think we're going to impact the next generation by, by a moment here or a moment there. But the truth is, even here, we're told you impact the next generation by a life that flows, a love for God, a knowledge of His Word, growing and living it out, and a commitment, a diligence to sharing that in real time. And, and, and speaking of time, I just want to ask, is there a time factor in this? Is there an element here where this stops? Because as I look at this, I realize, that yes, it's, it's in the home, absolutely. When it says teaching them diligently, does this stop when they're grown? Those of you that have grown children, and I, I hope to be there one day, you know it doesn't stop, it just changes. What about for all of us as God's people, as God's church? Does this expectation that we invest in the children amongst us And those young parents amongst us not looking around and saying, boy, you know what? I wish she would discipline that kid a little bit differently. Maybe coming alongside, encouraging. No, this this doesn't have any limits on it. It's comprehensive. It's all of it. And so as we take some of these things in stride, these, these primary commands... Uh, these primary observations that we see this morning, it, it really is humbling to know that we're all just in this process of growth as we walk together. And so as we do look at some of these observations, so I want to point out a few things this morning. And that is first, there's this collective call. And now while the church does not replace Israel, Paul is very clear of that in Romans. We are much like Israel in having been called out. In fact, the very word church, ecclesia, in the New Testament means called out ones. An ancient Greek tradition of politics, really, of those that would be called out amongst the community to vote and decide on certain things. And, and God, interestingly, brings that in to define the church. We use the word all the time. But we are those that are called out by God from amongst the many to be his family. Much like Israel, we are addressed collectively in the epistles, even Ephesians, if you look at that, as a collective, responsible family 
within the family of God. There's also a comprehensive impact. So yes, we've got these commands, but notice how it's all the time. It's all of it. It's everywhere. Flowing from our hearts and our lives. When we bump into one another in the hallways, when we choose to schedule a time to meet for lunch, when on Mother's Day we get together as families and celebrate what God has done through the many gifts that he's blessed us, even through our own mothers and those that are raising our own children, our own grandchildren. Every point of contact brings us back to the last observation. And this is personal responsibility. And you know, as a parent, you know, you feel that weight. As a mom, I'm sure you do in unique ways that even I don't appreciate. There's a great personal responsibility that's driven by our love first. They see, if we get that wrong, in the midst of all this, we can set the setting here today in our world where everyone's confused about everything. How you should raise your kid, whether you should gender your kid. I mean, nowadays we have very morally well-thinking, well-intentioned young parents at 20 years old saying, you know, we're not going to raise our children to be a certain gender. We'll let them decide that. That's the morality of this world telling the next generation that this is right and this is proper. We would understand it's actually so hurtful. God created each one of us and each one of them for a purpose and a reason just as he created them to be. As we look at this personal responsibility, where do we turn to? It's not that we don't feel the weight. Certainly it's the word. But even as we look to live the word, how do we actually apply it? How do we live it out as we fail and we fail? And if you've been at this long enough in life, fail and struggle again. Very simply, the great Shema, the greatest commandment of all, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, with all that you do, even through failure. That is the great personal responsibility to get right first. And in verse 6 of Deuteronomy, these words that I've commanded you will be on your heart, and then you will teach them. If we think that we can invest in these next generations without first, in our own heart, pursuing the Lord personally, reveling in his word, reflecting on his love, we're not going to get it right. These are first steps to this responsibility. Otherwise, I'll tell you what, we'll just be crushed. We will, and maybe some of you have felt that. Maybe some of you have been raised in a family and felt the reflections or the fruits of failure. Maybe you're praying about a situation this morning that you wish God would somehow just change. The answer is the same. We love him first. We trust him in all of this. And so this morning I want to share with you just a a picture of this. I don't know how well you can see that up there. But if you're wondering where to start, it's obedience to the word. That's what what Moses here is, is calling Israel to. Hear and do, listen and accept 
grasp and follow and commit to him. And, and first, even if we feel like everything's wrong, and listen, everything's not going to just feel right when you start these first steps. Everything's not going to just fall into place if you were to one time in one moment say, Lord, okay, now you've got my heart. Obedience does have to come first. And then through time, the fruits flow from that. And you see, that's where blessing comes from. True blessing comes from the Lord, not from you. You can't make this happen. I mean, we can affect some change. We can do some good things, certainly. But true blessing comes from the Lord. And if you've been raising children at any level, you know it's really up to them to grab their heart. It's all about the heart. It starts with our heart, and we plead and we pray for him to change theirs. He can do this. He can do this in yours. And even as you see that blessing work out in your life and then slowly over time as it flows through the other aspects of your life, I'll tell you what, your great love for God really grows. And what we didn't have in this diagram is some of the failure in here, right? And through forgiveness with an attitude of repentance as we keep coming back to him and getting first things first, the patience of our God, the greatness of our God, the goodness of our God, only grows our love for him. And it's out of this fullness of, of love and blessing, which is started by obedience, started by trusting his word and committing to do it even if we don't understand, that leads to a full life. I, I heard a guy a long time ago, I can't remember who he was, but he said, you know, when your life is full of the good things, when you bump into people, it's like a cup that's too full that just splashes onto them. And what a great picture, because I tell you what, what we fill our lives with splashes onto people. The toxic comes from the heart. The frustration and the anger comes from frustration and anger in the heart. The path as we fill our lives with the Lord and His Word and trust Him even when we don't see and understand means that it changes us. And as we impact others, it changes that impact for the good which reinforces the obedience. I can sit here today and say, I wish when I was young I had learned some of these things, but having learned some of these things, I can say to those that are young, get this right. Because if you follow the Lord, you will be blessed. If you follow the Lord, your life will be filled with his love, and when you follow the Lord, you'll have a confidence in being able to tell others there's nothing better. Any of the things you're chasing after, Mothers, even looking to your children as being the fulfillment of your success, it's not going to be enough. Our children, they're really in the hands of the Lord and we just shepherd them as we have opportunity. But what does this mean? So as we look at this, as I look at a diagram like this and I see God's word and even in Deuteronomy, he's laying this out, right? He's saying you need to listen. He will bless you. You need to grow in this. Don't follow the patterns of failure. We're left with a question. So, I mean, especially as a parent, think about this as a mother. Does this mean I got to do better? It means the failures in my household and in my life and in my family really are just because of me? Because ultimately, if that's what we're saying, like if you do it right, you'll get it right. So get it right and stop doing it wrong. Lays another law on top of our hearts well i i gotta say kind of do i need to do better at this do we need to do yes 
Yes, we do. That's, what's, that's what Moses is saying to these, these people. Is there a failure just because of me? I mean, these children watched the failure of their parents and felt the impact of that. And I'm sure many of us have stories to share much like that. But we're not in this alone, and that's the thing. Obedience is still the first step. I'd ask you to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. I'm only going to ask you to turn to two passages this morning. Hebrews chapter 3. Then we're going to be looking in Psalm 115, which I asked you to look at earlier. Hebrews chapter 3, though. We're here in this same setting. As the writer of Hebrews is speaking to the New Testament believers that are, in fact, Jewish. (coughs) Reflecting on Moses himself and the call to Israel, it's so pertinent, I guess it's so perfect that we actually have all the kids with us this morning because this was much like the group that Moses was talking to. The whole congregation of Israel was gathered before him. All of us, listen, verse 5, doesn't matter how old or young we are, Moses was faithful, verse 5, Hebrews 3, in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. We are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, if we're wondering where to start, our confidence in the Lord Boasting in our hope in Him. Verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, doesn't matter your story, it doesn't matter your past, it doesn't matter your failures, maybe even this morning. Today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And a writer of Hebrews says to us, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But in, instead, Exhort one another every day as long as it's called today. Guard yourself. Guard one another. That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. The reason why I point our attention to this this morning is that we must be very careful not to harden our hearts Not to continue to go through these processes that we've been trusting in apart from God or apart from His work. That's still the primary call even to us, maybe as we struggle with honoring our mother as even the law would say we ought. Because our mother was not a very good mother. Whether it's those things you look to apart from the strength in Christ and the knowledge of His Word to be enough as you try to raise those kids. To all of us, the answer is the same. Do not harden our hearts against the Lord. So it is up to us. What will we decide? 
What will we choose today and then tomorrow? What will we choose? Will we look to follow him? Will we look to one another to encourage one another? Do not grow weary in well-doing in due season. You will reap. We're told in Galatians. The truth is, yes, it is up to us, but we're not in this alone. We need to turn to him. We need to rest in him until it all does fall in its place. And what we didn't have in the previous diagram is the center, and that is it's all of grace. Yes, we have to choose in obedience, but it's by grace he leads us to that place. And if that's you this morning, whatever it may be, do not harden your heart to the working of the Spirit. Do not, do not hold things against the Lord as if somehow they were not for your good, as he promises us in Romans, all things work together for good. There's a purpose for this struggle. There's a purpose for these things. It's all of grace. It's truly of his goodness. Let's look at Psalm 115 as we close this morning. Psalm 115. We opened the service with this. And again, I don't know if you noticed, but we're looking at passages that do reflect on Israel. But as in all of Scripture, it's woven together so beautifully. The truth of God's Word has no error or contradiction in it. It's amazing that while this was written to Israel, we're woven into it. What's the answer? How do we truly honor our parents? How do we honor mothers in our midst? How do we encourage one another? We trust the Lord. I'm just reading that again this, this morning, starting in verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. If you're a young mother this morning, trust Him. Trust Him with your children. If you're the parent of a young mother, trust Him to be at work. He is their help, their shield. A house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust Him. Verse 12. The Lord has remembered us. Don't ever think that he doesn't know your story. Doesn't know these people that break your heart are the center of joy in your soul. He, he knows it all. He will bless the house of Israel because he chooses to. He will bless the house of Aaron because he chooses you. He will bless those who fear the Lord because he chooses to both small and great, every single one of us that fear him. Verse 14, may the Lord give you increase. You know, all those things we seek to grow in, all those things we seek to get right in our family relationships, in our church relationships, understand that he has to be the one that gives the increase. He has to do what we can't do. He calls us to trust him. He calls us to fear him and obey him. He calls us to continue even when things may get hard or we may get hurt. But he will give you the increase, you and your children. The impact on the next generation is real. May you be blessed by the Lord. Don't forget, he's the one who made heaven 
and earth. Listen, this is bigger than any of us. But it does point to each one of us in our choices. And today as we reflect on motherhood, what a great blessing. Every single one of us has a mom. And whatever that story looks like and wherever we may be on that path, God calls us to bless as we trust, to invest as we obey, and to share everywhere that we walk together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you know us, that you remember us, that you see us, that you have a purpose for for everything you've called us to. We come before you admitting that we have failed so many times. We fail in honoring our, our mothers. We failed in honoring you. We failed as parents. We failed in many ways as a church, but we know at the same time as we look to you by your grace, you've also allowed us to succeed. And Lord, whatever successes may come from our decision even now to humble ourselves before you and say, help us do this, help us encourage one another, help us honor this gift of motherhood and of children, we pray that you would take this request and by your grace work out a growing love that makes a bigger impact. And then as we go out into the world even today, amongst our families even today, would be your grace and your goodness that would be a blessing that flows through our lives as we commit them to you right now the best way we know how. We thank you in advance. We pray in your son's name. Amen.